It was good worship. And it was such good worship. You know, I had a sermon planned, but I think I'm going to change it. And I'm just going to talk about college football today. <laughs> Amen? Amen. Did the Gators win? No. Oh, they lost. <laughs> Pam, did Florida State win? they won. But we don't want to mix sports and church. Heck yeah, we do. We want to mix sports and church. All right. Well, anyway, it was a good weekend for uh, Seminoles, not for Gators. So. Um, I've really enjoyed uh, spending time in the life of David, and it's actually kind of been fun to go look back at some of my journals from, you know, just study time to remember what God was doing in my life back in 1999. And I've learned a lot from looking at that. In reality, some of you may not realize this, but at that time in May, uh, I was in the process of transitioning from a ministry in South Carolina and getting ready, closing up shop there and coming to Sarasota. So that's kind of back when I was studying this the very first time. And so, but going back through it, um, it's been really kind of fun to watch. Now, today, the title is Jealous. You know, you ever had, like, for example, if you're a Gator fan, jealous? <laughs> right? Because jealousy is not a good thing. Uh, if you're a Buck fan, jealous? <laughs> right? The Bucks, right? So that keeps me grounded. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about uh, a contrasting reaction. Last week we talked about David uh, beating Goliath, right? And he beat Goliath. And, and I share with you guys, remember, what we're talking about here, the whole life of David is, is, a, is part of the drama of redemption. And if you remember correctly, I share with you that the real ethereal story about this, the story that runs above the whole life of David, is the fact that the enemy has been trying to kill David since he was young. From the bears and lions attacking the sheep, uh, to Goliath, to later on Saul, and we see these things. And the reason is, it's because David is the line of Christ, where Christ is to be born from. Because for Christ to be the Lamb of God, he also had to, had, he also had to have a claim as king. That's part of the prophecy that was laid out in Scripture. And we detailed that last week. And so as we go through this, Understand that that's an overlying theme here. Now, I want to talk about Jonathan today because Jonathan was actually a son of the king, just like Jesus was. And what's interesting is Jonathan... I'm going to read to you a story about Jonathan just to give you some background because Jonathan wasn't some spoiled schmuck. He wasn't some rich kid that was, you know, living an easy life. Yes, he was the son of King Saul, but Jonathan was... A pretty bad man. All right, I'm going to read this story for you from 1 Samuel 14. I'm just going to read this passage, okay? And Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let's go over to where all the Philistines are, and it will be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by just a few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart, Jonathan. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men. We will show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, Wait till we come to you, then we will stand in our place and we will not go to them. 
But if they say, come on, come to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. So both men showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison yelled at Jonathan and his armor bearer, and they said, come up to us, and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go. For the Lord has given them into our hands and the hands of Israel. So Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet with his armor after him, armor bearer after him. And they all fell before Jonathan. And his armor bearer killed them after him. And after the first strike with Jonathan and his armor bearer made, they killed about 20 men within, as it were, about a half a furlough's length in about an acre of land. And there was panic in the Philistine camp, in the field, among all the people. And the garrison, even the raiders, they trembled, and the earth quaked. And it became a great panic, and the earth was quaking because they're all running away on their horses or whatever. And so what I really really wanted to do is to make sure, before we get to the next part of the story, that you understand Jonathan was like, uh, you know, William Wallace in that movie Braveheart. That's the kind of guy he was. It was just him and his armor bearer. That's it. And they climbed this wall in this garrison, and they're killing Philistines left and right, you know, and, and 20 of them in a very short time. And they say, if, we can, if two guys could do this to us, and they started getting scared, and they ran away. So I just wanted to make sure that you understand, before we go into the next story that you're going to see, I want you to know that Jonathan, in his own right, was a pretty good man of war. He was a good fighter. He was a good soldier. He was a good prince. He wasn't a spoiled, rotten kid. He wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. He was a man of character, a man of integrity, a man of dignity, a man of a good reputation. So you understand, he could have been, in the eyes of anybody, a fit heir to the throne, right? I mean, he's a good guy. Now, I want to talk about fear and jealousy and how they lead to hatred. See, when we are gripped by hatred, we can't do the bidding of God. We can only do the bidding of that emotion. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to study the contrast between how Jonathan responds to David's success And then how Saul responds, Jonathan's dad, how he responds to David's success. And they're direct polar opposites. And so what we want to see today is that... I already did that part. Is this last week's? Okay, there we go. Get all that part. Okay. So we know the story here. I'm going to read this to you. And yes, that's kind of a... uh, a graphic picture, but I think it's okay because I want you to know what's going on. This is like, this is a painting that somebody rendered, or maybe maybe it was an Instagram shot, I'm not sure. (laughs) You know, that was maybe when they were just 8 megapixels. What are they now, 450,000 megapixel cameras? I don't know, but, so you see he's he's carrying, you know, Goliath's head, and there's David, he's a little bit shorter than Jonathan. Let me read this this story, right? 1 Samuel 18, verse 1 through 7. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul... The son of Jonathan's soul was knit to the soul of David. Remember what Jonathan's armor bearer said? I am with you heart and soul. 
Jonathan was the leader, the armor bearer was his follower, and he was willing to do whatever it took, and he was with Jonathan, heart and soul. And look what happens here in 18. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe, which, by the way, is very symbolic. The robe of the prince. He stripped himself of his robe that was on him. He gave it to David. He gave David his armor. And by... By study, we know that probably also means he gave David his armor bearer. The one who was knit to Jonathan's soul. He gave David his armor. He gave him his sword. He gave David his bow. He gave David his belt. All the things that symbolized Jonathan as being a great man of war. The things of prestige and honor that he would get as the king's son and as a warrior. All those things he took off and he gave them to David. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul sent him, sent him over men of war. And this was good in, in the sight of all the people and all the sight of Saul's servants. And as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, and they were singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And Saul's thinking, this is pretty good. All the women are coming out, welcoming me back from the battle with the Philistines. And then the women sang, as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. We've got a problem here. Especially if you're David. Now, Jonathan, I want you to understand... There are certain times in, in the Old Testament where we can see and understand types and pictures always break down at some point. But we can see some very strong similarities between Jonathan and Jesus. Jonathan is a great picture of how Jesus loves God's chosen children. The first thing I want you to see, Jonathan gives up his position as sole heir. Gave up his robe, gave up his armor, gave up his bow and his belt. Very symbolic. And we see this in Philippians 2, 5-8. Let me read this to you. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who thought he was, who, who though he was in the form of God, did not count himself equal with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So there's an example where Christ left his prestigious position as the son of the king, the son of God, and he came in the form of a man and died for us. He became a servant. He became human form. Jonathan did the very same thing. Jonathan gave up his position as heir to the throne. Jonathan knew what was going on. Jonathan gave up all the symbolism of being the son of the king and gave it to David. And God caused Jonathan to fall in love with David and they became the closest of friends. And in this respect, we see how Jonathan, just like Christ, was willing to give up his position. 
The next thing we see is he stood in the gap for David on his behalf. And we'll talk some more about this next week. But here's another passage that explains how Jesus did that. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. You see, what we have in Christ is this mediator, this advocate, who stands between us and the Father. And he does the work necessary to bridge the gap between unrighteousness and complete righteousness. You understand the two can't be mixed. But Christ is the advocate, the mediator, the in-between that allows us to have a connection with the Father, a connection with the King. Jonathan served the same role for David. Another example of how Jonathan is a picture of Jesus. Another example is how he loves God chosen as his own soul. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. David was chosen by God to be king. David was God's chosen. And Jonathan loved David. So much so that he loved him, the scripture says later on, he loved David as his own self. And that's an example of what Christ did for us. Another picture of how Jonathan is like Jesus. Then the last example, committed to the success of God's chosen. This is interesting. Let me read Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, Paul writes this, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do you understand what that means? What the theology and the doctrine behind what Paul is saying in Philippians is this. If Christ is in your heart, if Christ is in your life, he is committed to your success, he started the good work in you, and he's not going to leave it undone, and he will complete it to the day that you see him face to face. Christ is committed to your success spiritually. Christ is committed to making sure that your redemption is flawless, perfect, complete, from beginning to end. Jonathan was also committed to the success of God's chosen. We're going to see that next week as well. And so there's another example of how Jonathan is just like Jesus in those four ways. You guys see that, right? So it's very easy to see, and it's not a stretch to understand that in this particular part of the Scripture, Jonathan is a picture of Christ. Now think about this. Remember we talked about the angels a few weeks ago about how they love to watch the drama of redemption in heaven, and the Scripture says they're curious about it and they're fascinated to look into it. Remember we talked about that, right? And so the angels are watching this drama of redemption. They're watching this thing with David play out. They know that Satan wants to kill David. And they know that God is, God is there protecting David. But they know that Satan's using the Philistines. He's using bears. He's using lions. And pretty soon he's going to use Saul. And you're watching this story, if you're an angel in heaven, about Goliath. And you see, wow, man, that was a great story. And then, anybody ever watched that show Lost? Anybody ever watch that show when it was on? For those of you that didn't watch it, I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> what, are you too stuck up to watch TV? What a great show. And there were so many times where I'd be watching that show and I'd say, whoa, I didn't see that coming. The relation between Jonathan and David, I think, is one of those where the angels are going, 
wow, we kind of knew he was going to beat the giant, right? Because, you know, come on, give me a break. God's not. But I did not see this thing with Jonathan coming. Whoa. The king's son just gave David the robe and the belt and the sword and all that stuff. And now he's committed to the king's chosen, uh, the, uh, the new king's chosen success. He's committed to that. Whoa, what's going to happen here? Jonathan is Saul's son, and Jonathan seems to love David more than he loves his own dad. Whoa, I didn't see that coming. And so what we see here happening is we have this drama of redemption playing out. It's becoming kind of like as the world turns, and you've got this incredible relationship, this friendship, this brotherhood brewing between Jonathan and David, and it creates a problem for David because Saul now becomes a picture of how Satan hates God's chosen children. You see how Jonathan is a picture of Jesus. And we've outlined, and I'm not going to go through all the passages again like we have, but I'll hit a few. Let me read this in Samuel 18, verse 8 through 16. Let me just read this. This is right after the women just saying, Oh, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this song that the women were singing displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David tens of thousands. And to me, they have ascribed only thousands. What more can he do now but take the kingdom? And from that day forward, Saul eyed David the same way Satan does. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved with madness in his house while David was playing the harp as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David against the wall. But David ducked twice. Okay, you're playing the harp once in the king's room, and he chucks a spear at you. He ducks and starts playing again. (laughs) And then he ducks again. Now, I don't know if he went into a third set of music after the second spear chuck. But at this point, it's getting to be kind of like, okay, somebody might need a nap. (laughs) And the scripture is in verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him commander of a thousand men. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. In other words, he was a man of the people. So you can see how Saul now becomes a picture of Satan. Jonathan is a picture of Jesus. As Jesus relates to us, God's chosen... And then Saul plays the picture of Satan in relation to us, God's chosen. Because just as much as Satan hated David, he hates us. He hates that God shows favor to someone other than him. He can't stand it. Saul hates the fact that God's favor has left him and rests upon the shoulder of David. He hates the fact that his son Jonathan loves David. He hates the fact that Jonathan gave David his robe and his sword and his belt. He probably hates the fact that David is a great harp player. 
He hates the fact that David is chosen to be king. And Saul seeks to destroy God's chosen. From that day forward, the scripture says, he eyed David. <coughs> and he lives in direct opposition and conflict to God's plan. And so what we see happening here now is this. You see the contrast, right? David is successful. Jonathan says, that's my man right there. That boy can get it done. I'm giving him all my stuff. And then Saul says, that's the man right there. I don't like him. He's going to take my job. He's taken my throne. I hate him. I want to destroy him. And I don't care about the fact that God has chosen him. And so Saul becomes a picture of Satan. <clears throat> Here's the problem with what Jonathan is do or what Saul is doing. First John chapter 4, 18 through 21. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he, God, first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. He cannot love God who he's never seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You see, sometimes as Christians, it's very easy for us to fall into the realm of jealousy. And even if it's just a little bit, maybe you're jealous of somebody's position. Maybe you're jealous of somebody's money. Maybe you're jealous of somebody's popularity. But what you have to be aware of is this. The moment jealousy enters your life, you're at a crossroad. <clears throat> because the end result of jealousy is hatred of that or that person who has what you don't. And that is what Saul did. Jonathan, on the other hand, when he saw the success of David, did not respond with jealousy. He responded with affirmation. And he says, that's the guy. What a great person. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to do everything I can to further his success. This is what I wrote in my journal when I was studying this in May of 1999. As a pastor, when I, didn't get, when I get involved in the lives of those around me, if I'm going to imitate Christ, I must be committed to their spiritual success. Not someone who is dispassionate or even jealous of who they are. In fact, I must be willing to sacrifice my own glory for their success. How amazingly dynamic, how full would this building be on Sunday morning? How much impact would we have during the week with ministries like Life Tree Cafe that are getting ready to crank up in November and, you know, the food bank and the Day of Hope? How much more effective are all those garden ministries going to be if we got a room full of Jonathan-type people? I mean, could you ever imagine what could happen if most of us as a congregation get to the point where when we see somebody else's success, 
We don't just say, oh, that's pretty good. We don't just become dispassionate. Because in reality, what I believe is dispassionate reaction is actually a seed of jealousy. But if we see someone's success, we get behind it even further and say, I want to see them double it. And I'm going to do whatever I can to make them successful more. When you see a ministry begin to build and take place in our church, and you see somebody having an impact, what if we're like Jonathan's and we said, you know what, here's my robe, here's my belt, here's my sword. Anything I can do to make you even more successful, please. And what, what could you imagine if you were in the middle of ministry and someone came behind you and said that to you? And so what happened is we got a bunch of Jonathans run into each other. Wouldn't that be awesome? Instead of having a bunch of Sauls that go around, there's two ways to be a Saul. One is to throw a spear at somebody. And another is to avoid them. Saul did that, did he not? When he said, you know what, get David out of my house. I'm hoping that we as a church, we as a congregation, from teenagers to older people, all of us, that we could make sure that we begin to realize we have to be like Jonathan when it comes to the success of God's other chosen children. What the amazing thing is this, if you're a child of God, we're all the same position. And I'm hoping that we as a congregation can get to the point where we're willing to take off our robe, take off our belt, take out our sword, everything that we have that it's a position, you know, a, a symbol of our success or glory or anything like that and say, I'm giving it to you, my brother, or you, my sister, because you are good at this. And then as you're doing your humble service, somebody comes behind you and says, I see what you're doing. Here's my robe. Here's my belt. Here's my sword. You can see how it goes right into what Megan's been talking about, about our time and our treasure. I can tell you this, the Nightlife Center, the ministry, that I don't talk about it a whole lot from up here, but I can tell you this, the only reason it continues to exist because I have people on a weekly basis that come behind me and say, Joe, here's my robe. Here's my belt. Here's my sword. Go get them. You know, and I'm out in the community and the, the newspapers call me sometimes, the TV or whatever. And you know, and I get this quote-unquote glory or whatever. It's not there. It doesn't happen. There's no success unless I have a bunch of Jonathans behind me. It's the same thing is true for your ministry. If you have success in your ministry, you better recognize that God has put some Jonathans in your life. Guys, we need more Jonathans and less Saul's. We need to be Jonathan to each other every moment. And I believe that if we start to grasp that concept, this building is going to be so full, they're going to have to move those chairs and tables over there because they're going to have to seat people over there. The balcony is going to be full. Day of Hope is going to be blowing up. I mean, we're going to have Light Tree Cafe, several different places all over the community. We're going to have so much ministry and love for our community going on because everybody's willing to take off their robe and their belt and their sword and give it to the person in front of them at every time because God will knit our souls together.